of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, we will be looking at chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Again, that is the book of Hebrews, the first four, uh, first four verses in chapter 1, followed by the first four chapters in, or excuse me, the first four verses in chapter 2. This is God's holy word. Let us pay careful attention to it. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much more superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed, distributed according to his will. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Let's now come before the Lord and ask for his help upon the preaching of his word this evening. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you once again for your word, and we just thank you for an opportunity to freely come and open your word, Father, and uh, learn more from you and praise your name. We pray that you'll be with Pastor Sutton as he brings the message this evening, dear Lord. Open our hearts and our minds to what your word has in mind, Father, for where your word goes out, it accomplishes everything that you have in mind for it. And we pray, Father, that um, through this powerful word, we will not neglect such a great salvation. And that, Father, if in the hearing of this word there's a heart of stone, won't you turn that to flesh? And, Father, uh, by your power and for your glory, uh, give salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we, alone we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, my wife and I will be celebrating our 10th wedding anniversary soon. Not really soon, but uh, for me it's soon because I have to start preparing for it. And we're thinking about what we want to do in celebration of the Big Ten. Uh, to give you a little bit of a background, uh, my wife and I, both uh, are from San Diego, uh, but we didn't start um, getting to know each other until I was here uh, in Ludington, Michigan. I was stationed in the Coast Guard at Station Ludington, and she was out in San Diego. 
And uh, my wife and I, not married at that time, uh, we began talking to each other on the phone, and uh, then we moved to, you know, we started texting, and then we moved to uh, actually, you know, phone call, uh, hearing each other. Uh, and then we, we took our relationship to the next level. That's right, we Skyped. Now, I'm probably somewhat dating myself because now we have these really nifty uh, technology uh, has advanced in our, in our phones and we have FaceTime. So some of you may not even know what Skype is, uh, but Skype was uh, that really neat uh, way that you could see each other on the computer. Uh, and that was great for a time. Uh, at that point, when we took our, our relationship to the next level and Skyped, we knew that we wanted to get married. Uh, and so uh, Skype was sufficient for a time. It was sufficient, uh, and we were able to see each other, and we were able to um, really anticipate marriage through that. Um, now, getting back to uh, our marriage uh, anniversary 10 years later, uh, what if I were to tell you that uh, my wife and I, in thinking about what we wanted to do, thought it would be a really good idea uh, to, uh, in celebration of that, uh, go out and buy computers um, and uh, sign up for Skype uh, and, and Skype each other. Hopefully you're thinking to yourself, why on earth would you do something so foolish? Why would you go back to Skyping? Why would you go back to something that was good and sufficient for a moment, uh, but was always pointing to something greater? Marriage. Now, if that's what you thought, then that's good. And if that's not what you thought, well, you should have thought that. And that's really the whole uh, point and purpose of the book of Hebrews. The writer of the Hebrews wrote uh, what some scholars are suggesting is a sermon, and it probably is a sermon of some sort, uh, that Christ is better. Christ is more than sufficient. See, the writer of the book of Hebrews is writing to a people who are contemplating going back to Judaism or going to some uh, kind of works-based system. If they were Jews, they would certainly go back to Judaism. If they were pagans who were uh, converted out of paganism, perhaps they were going back to that kind of lifestyle. They were uh, tempted to want to go back. They were tempted because uh, the Christians were facing uh, little bits of persecution. They were facing uh, some uh, points of hostility towards family mem- or from family members, uh, the workplace, etc. And so they were sincerely thinking about abandoning the faith. You see, hostility breeds all kinds of temptations. And it is no different for us today as our own society and culture uh, continues to be more hostile to the Christian faith. That kind of temptation looms over every single one of us. The temptation to abandon the faith. The temptation for them 
was to look at their particular context and to say, you know what, Uh, maybe we got the wrong guy. Maybe this Jesus, this Jesus who came and died, maybe he wasn't the right guy. Maybe we need to go back to a system. Maybe we need to go back to uh, the sacrifices. And the message of the writer of the Hebrews is simply, don't go back. Don't go back, because Judaism was always to point you forward to Christ, the all-sufficient sacrifice, the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that is a message that we desperately need in our own day, where, again, that kind of temptation looms over us. The writer of this great letter, this sermon, writes to a people who need to be encouraged, but who also need to be admonished to keep moving forward, to keep their eyes of faith on Jesus, because Jesus is better. I've titled our sermon this evening, Christ or Chaos, because that's really the two options. And do we not see that right now unfolding before our very eyes in our own culture? Christ or chaos? But before, that we, before we can come to say that Christ is better, before we can come to say that Christ, that the options are Christ or chaos, we need to be reminded of who Christ is. So for the remainder of our time this evening, I have two points for us to consider. The first is knowing Christ. That is, who Christ is. Who is this Christ? And then second, why does it matter? Why does it matter? Why does it matter that we are to know this Christ? So those are our two points Uh, to consider this evening. With that, let's turn to our first point, knowing Christ. And under the banner of that first point, I have seven minor points. Seven minor points. The first is that Christ is the content of Revelation. Christ is the content of Revelation. The author begins by saying not or excuse me, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God the Father speaks to you and me through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the content of revelation. God speaks through Christ, And God speaks about Christ. That is to say that God is not only the content of Revelation from Genesis to Revelation. All of God's word speaks about Christ. But it's also to say that God the Father speaks through Christ as the mediator of Revelation. That is, revelation comes through Christ, the eternal word of God. 
Now, this uh, helps us in certain apologetic contexts. I deal with the youth group, and I see a good amount of youth here tonight, and praise be to God. Uh, And one of the uh, points uh, that you may deal with, uh, non-believing people, uh, on the issue of homosexuality, is this point that often is made, that Jesus never spoke on homosexuality. He never speaks about it. Now, I would argue that when Jesus speaks about marriage being between one man and one woman, he indeed is speaking about homosexuality. Nevertheless, if he never mentioned anything about marriage, if he never mentions anything at all, we know that he does speak on homosexuality because he is in the Old Testament. He is the God of the Old Testament, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That is, he was there during Sodom and Gomorrah. He was there when he gave his law, and the seventh commandment comes from the lips of Jesus, our eternal Savior, our eternal, or the eternal word. So God speaks through Christ. He speaks about Christ. Our second point this evening is, or excuse me, our second point under the major point is that Christ is in charge of all things. Christ is the Son. Again, the writer says, In verse 2, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Whom he appointed the heir of all things. Christ is the son. He is the eternal word. He is the eternal second person of the Trinity. He upholds all things together by virtue of his divinity. And yet at the same time, the Father has given the Son, the eternal Word who became flesh, the eternal Word who became a man, who dwelled among us, who lived a perfect and obedient life, submitting himself to his Father's will, going to the cross for our sins, dying for our iniquities, being placed in the tomb, and three days later, raising for our justification. God the Father gave him the authority over all things. It is this man, Christ Jesus, to whom now has all authority over heaven and earth. He is the second and last Adam. The first Adam failed in his duty and task, his responsibility before God. But the second Adam obeyed God perfectly. And it is he who has been given all authority over heaven and earth. And it's on that basis, it's on that foundation that we as God's people are commissioned to go forward discipling the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them 
all that Christ has commanded from Genesis to Revelation, the entire word of God. It's on his authority that the Father has given that we are to go forward as his, as his ambassadors. So Christ is in charge of all things. Thirdly, Christ is the creator of the world. It is through him that he created the world. If you want to turn, uh, turn to Colossians chapter 1. Paul similarly says here, beginning in verse 15, he says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He might be supreme. Christ is the creator of the world. He is the one to whom creation comes into existence. Again, we read in Genesis 1 that God speaks from nothing out of nothing, all of creation. And he does this through Christ, his eternal word. And yet, Christ is also the creator of the new creation. And that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, uh, in Colossians chapter 1. So Christ is the creator of the world. Fourth, Christ communicates the Father to us. He communicates the Father to us. Christ reveals the Father to us. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. You want to know the Father? You want to know who the Father is? You can only know the Father through the Son. You can only know who God is through Christ, his Son. Christ reveals the Father to us, and we can only know the Father through the Son, to whom the Son reveals. Next, Christ continues to hold all things together. Christ continues to hold all things together. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Christ preserves all things. Christ keeps all things together. Literally, uh, he he holds the world in his grips as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He carries us to our destined end. He carries us to our end goal that he preserves for us, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is also crowned with all glory and might. 
He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down. Brothers and sisters, don't let that go by you without being in awe over that. If you know your Bibles, you know that there were a great host of many priests who went before Jesus Christ. And if you know your Bibles, you know that not one of those priests ever dared to sit down at the right hand of God. Not one. Because they know. They were able to confess what Isaiah confessed when he was before the throne of God, that he was a man of unclean lips. But this man, this one, sits at the right hand of the majesty on high because this man is the unblemished, perfect, spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This one, the Father is pleased. This one is the one who died for you and me. This one is the one who purifies us so that we might stand righteous in his sight, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And he sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He has all authority given to him. He is our high priest who made atonement for our sins. And he continues as our high priest even today in the heavenly places where he intercedes for us as our high priest. And he is our king. He rules and reigns. He is not caught off guard by where we are today. He is not. And we can be comforted in that. As we look, as we look at our cultural landscape and the chaos and the mess that we're in, Christ is not caught off guard at all. And he is Lord over all of it. And we as his people can be comforted and assured in that reality. He is our great high priest and our almighty king, ruling and reigning over the world. And then under this heading, lastly, he is the commander of the heavenly host. He is the commander of the heavenly host. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Christ is superior to the angels. He is superior over the angels. And as the God-man, Jesus Christ, he plundered the strong man's, or excuse me, yeah, the strong man's house. That is to say, he took what was given to Satan as Satan's dominion for a while now that dominion belongs to Christ. Christ 
has full dominion over the world. Now, it's where we uh, might think in this part of the sermon, what does all of this have to do with me? Why does this matter? Why specifically does the writer of the Hebrews here give us these points to start off in this letter? And so it's our second point, why it matters that we turn to. Why do we need to know these things about Christ? Well, first, the writer of the Hebrews says that we must pay attention. We must pay attention. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. There are two terms here used for falling away, and and both terms are nautical, nautical terms, paying attention. This term used for paying attention uh, is used for when a ship was coming into port, it would guide the ship so that the, the ship wouldn't hit any uh, land or anything like that. They would able to be able to uh, go into port and not collide or hit anything. Um, I have five children, and uh, they're at the ages where they love building Legos. And it's a fun age because I love building Legos, and I've whom I, I like building them even now, today. But every time I, I build Legos with them, inevitably, going through, we miss a particular important, crucial part in the instructions. And usually we don't catch it until close to the very end, and we realize That was a pretty important piece of the puzzle that we needed. And we have to go all the way back and do it from scratch so that we get it right. And that's that's the, the kind of imagery here. This understanding of who Christ is is given to us so that we would look to him and continue to walk in him even when trials tribulations, sufferings, whatever may come our way, happen. Another way, another term is uh, used here, the, the drifting away, lest we drift away from it. Uh, I was in the Coast Guard for about 14, 15 years, and we would oftentimes do drills um, practice on the boat for emergencies. Um, that way, when an emergency really does happen, we know what to do. We know how to react to it. And every single one of our emergencies, we had to do one thing prior to uh, acting in that, in that case. And that was we had to rig the anchor. We had to rig the anchor because we had to be moored to something. We couldn't uh, combat whatever was going on the boat if we were all over the place. We had to be moored and tethered down, and then we had to fight uh, whatever emergency came our way. 
That, again, is the illustration. We must be moored. Christ is our anchor. Christ is the one who holds us. And we ought to contemplate him, especially when times are rough. To look to him, the author and perfecter of our faith, the Lord Jesus. And then lastly, lastly, the reason why we want to think about these things is because God has spoken in his word about them, and God's word is binding. God's word is binding. We are held accountable to God's revelation. We are held accountable to these very things concerning the Lord Jesus. Listen to what the author says. He says, For since this message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? God's word gives us the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we are held accountable to it. And we cannot escape God's wrath if we neglect such a great salvation. And then listen to this, this chain of, of um, witnesses here. First, the Lord Jesus Christ bears witness. It was declared first by the Lord it was attested to us by those who heard, that is, the apostles. The apostles bore witness to the revelation. Christ himself bore witness. The apostles bore witness. And God bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of his Holy Spirit, which were distributed according to his will. The Lord bears witness, the apostles bear witness, God himself bears witness, and he gives his seal of witness through his Holy Spirit. That is why we are to pay much closer attention to these words. Uh, Ligonier Ministries uh, provides... Um, almost every year, kind of a, a state of the church, uh, how the church is doing on uh, understanding God. They just did a recent one um, not too long ago, and I don't remember the exact uh, percentages, but there are a, a good amount of, quote-unquote, evangelicals who affirm the Christian heresy of Arianism. Arianism. Arianism was that ancient heresy that taught that Christ uh, was created. That Christ was not the eternal word of the Father. That's an alarming, uh, that's an alarming fact. That a substantial amount of professing believers... Do not hold to an essential tenet of the Christian faith. Beloved, that's what 
the writer of Hebrews does not want you to do. And that's why this message is so important. So that you don't drift away. So that you don't turn your back. So that you don't run to something else. Because Jesus Christ is supreme. Jesus Christ is sufficient. He is sufficient for everything. For everything. So just as it would have been foolish for my wife and I, or would be foolish for my wife and I, to celebrate our 10th wedding anniversary by Skyping each other, by going back to something that always was pointing us to something greater, so too would it be foolish for us to forsake Christ, to abandon him, to go back to something else. I do think that we are living in, uh, at least for our context, uh, some darker days. I think for a long time we've had it very good here in our nation. And I think that we are um, starting to see some very early um, trials coming our way. And there is going to be great temptation for us uh, to think about whether or not uh, Jesus is worth, is worth it. And the message of the author of this glorious sermon is the same message that we need today. He is worth it. He is sufficient. He is our king. He is our prophet. And he is our high priest. Let us keep our eyes upon him. Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words that you have given to us, inspired by your Holy Spirit. These words that so richly expound the glories of Christ our Lord. Father, as we continue to go about our week, we ask that you would keep these words upon our lips, that you would keep them forged in our heart, and that we would contemplate Christ, that we would keep our eyes upon him. We ask, Lord, that you would help us, that you would give us a measure of your grace through your Holy Spirit, and that when trials come our way, that we would remember these wonderful truths of Christ Jesus our Lord, and that we would flee to him, run to him, our great high priest, our great prophet, and our glorious and almighty king. It's in his name that we pray in the strength, power, and wisdom of your Holy Spirit. Amen.
Will Christians rise as we receive his blessing and finish in our doxology. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.